Oh, man. <laughs> uh, oh, they caught everything, didn't they? Happy Father's Day, dads. Now, this morning, uh, we're kicking off a, a new series for uh, the summer of 2016 that I'm calling Heroes, Amazing Stories of Faith. Amazing stories of what? Faith. All right, good job. I was, I'm impressed, okay? If you're visiting, I, I like audience participation it gets you out quicker, maybe, I don't know. All right, and, and listen, from now until the end of the summer, what we're going to be doing is, is looking at different biblical heroes each week, and we're going to see what they have to teach us, what they have to teach you and I about what it means to follow hard after Jesus. I understand that the Bible, it's full of heroes. It's full of stories of men and women whose lives were recorded with the intent to challenge and inspire, encourage, motivate, and sometimes even warn us in our faith journey. In fact, there's an entire chapter in the Bible uh, that God breathed that lists some of the heroes whose lives were intended to be a source of encouragement and inspiration to the church, to me and to you, so that we would endure, so that we would keep moving forward no matter what this world throws our way. And that's exactly what these biblical heroes did. They kept moving forward. They endured no matter what. Check out these words from Hebrews chapter 11. And these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Uh, People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return, to return back to the way and the ways they used to live. Instead, they're longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed. In other words, God is proud to be called their God, for he's prepared a city for them. And in this great chapter of faith, it recounts briefly the stories of Abel and Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Joseph, Moses, and Rahab. And it mentions others like Gideon, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel. And then the God-inspired writer writes this. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, Let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Question, are there any weights in your life right now that are slowing you down? Turn to the person to your right and left and say, it's time to throw it off. Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Ain't that the truth? And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Now, one of the things I thought was really awesome at Move, when they would, sometimes they read Scripture, when the guy was done reading Scripture, he would say, this is the word of the Lord, and the people would respond, thanks be to God. And I'm going to read that last verse again, and I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and you're going to respond, thanks be to God. First service just totally screwed this up, right? I mean, it's like, I, I think maybe a cricket said it, right? So, you know, you guys are going to do better, right? Okay, let, let me read that verse again. Uh, 
Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. This is the word of the Lord. (laughs) I love you guys. Awesome. And now I decided that this would be a great series of conversations for summer 2016 for several reasons. Number one, I, I think we need some heroes, right? We need some heroes, right? If I knew that song better, I'd sing it for you. But okay, I think we need some heroes in our lives that we can imitate. Number two, I think we all need to be reminded of or hear for the first time these incredible, amazing stories of faith. Uh, number three, it's summer and a lot of people take vacations, right? And it's hard to build a series, right, if people are gone on trips and stuff, because each week the message will stand by itself. However, let me say this, that even if you're gone, I would encourage you to still listen to the messages online. Uh, number two, I would encourage you, if possible, while you're away, uh, find a church to attend. And, and number three, I would also encourage you to continue giving your offering while you're away. Online, you can mail it in. Because even when my feet are walking in the sand, kingdom work is still advancing. Amen? Amen. Uh, Now, now since it's Father's Day, I I was saying, okay, I need to find a father uh, that I can talk about to begin this series. And so I began looking through the Bible for a really great biblical father. You know what I found? I quickly realized that there are no perfect dads in the Bible. I mean, they all had some dad flaws. Except maybe Joseph, the stepdad of Jesus, but we don't have a whole lot of information on him. But no perfect dads in the Bible. I mean, Adam, Adam raised a son who wound up murdering his own brother. Abraham, the great father of faith, kicked out his son Ishmael, who he had with a woman who he was not married to. Ishmael was probably a rising freshman in high school. Abraham kicked him out of his house and never saw him again. Aaron, you know, Moses' brother, the guy of golden calf fame, his parenting or lack thereof led to the death of his two sons. Isaac, it was so obvious that Isaac loved Esau more than Jacob because Esau was hairy, you know, and liked to hunt. And Jacob liked to hang around the kitchen with mom. And, And this And this favoritism created intense hatred and separation between Esau and Jacob. Now, Jacob, unfortunately, decided not to break the family dysfunction, and he wound up loving one son more than his 11 other sons, Joseph, uh, which led to Joseph's brothers selling him into slavery and coming back and saying, Dad, we're really, really sorry, but your son is dead. And Samuel, the great prophet, was such a permissive parent He allowed his sons to do all kinds of things, never held them to the table for it, such that when they grew up, they forced people to give them bribes, and they perverted justice. And David, let me tell you, the great king and warrior would never win father of the year if he was the only guy on the ballot, right? I mean, he had many sons by multiple wives, never a good idea. And when one of his sons, Amnon, raped his half-sister Tamar, David knew about it and did nothing. Nothing. And since, since dad David did nothing to Abner, Tamar's brother Absalom 
eventually decided two years later to take matters into his own hands, and he murders Amnon. David knew about it, and David did nothing except kicking his son out of his house, not speaking to him for about 13 years. And this created such hatred in Absalom's heart towards his dad that Absalom tries to take David's throne and kill him, forcing David to flee Jerusalem. And it was only when Absalom was dead that David started weeping and wished that he could be with his son. Bottom line, if you're looking for a perfect human dad, don't bother looking in the Bible because they're not there. I mean, we have dads who were way too permissive with their kids and did not teach them the value of discipline and the consequences of wrong actions. We had dads who, who were cowards, who walked out of their children's lives never to see them again. Uh, we had dads who saw destructive patterns in their kids and took no action whatsoever, and sometimes that even led to the death of their children. Now, to be honest, I, I found it somewhat encouraging that there are no perfect dads in the Bible. And by the way, there are no perfect dads in this room either. But understand, though these dads were not perfect as dads or even perfect in their faith walk, they were still faithful. You hear what I'm saying? Being faithful has nothing to do with being perfect. Being faithful has nothing to do with being perfect. And if you don't believe me, read Hebrews chapter 11, where all those not-so-perfect dads are all mentioned by name as people of faith. Now, in my search for a dad to talk about, I thought long and hard, and though I thought long and hard, I didn't have to go very deep into the Bible. I got to Genesis 6, and there I found the dad I need to talk about today, Father's Day 2016. And really, it's what the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 11, specifically four words that the Hebrew writer says about this dad that make me say, yeah, he's the one. Hebrews 11, verse 8, by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, and holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith, righteousness that comes by faith. What? By, by faith. It's always been by faith. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Noah built an ark to do what? And there's those four words, to save his family. Yeah, a dad who saved his family. I, I think that's a dad worth talking about, Father's Day 2016. Now, now I'm pretty sure that, that every dad in this room w- w- wants to save his family. I mean, are there any dads out there who do not want to save their family? Before you raise your hands, um, let me give you some antonyms of the word save. Lose, abandon, endanger, harm, hurt, waste, make vulnerable, squander, throw away. Question, uh, dads, raise your hands if you want to lose, abandon, endanger, harm, hurt, Waste, make vulnerable, squander, or throw away your families. Go ahead and raise your hands. All right, good. No hands going up. That's perfect. Now raise your hands, dads, if you want to save your family. All right, me too. Me too. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to 
see what the Bible says about this ancient dad Noah. And as we do, we're going to find five characteristics in Noah's life that enabled God to use Noah to save his family. Now, now I want to say a couple things up front this morning. Number one, I love being a dad. I really do. And my venture into dadhood uh, began over three decades ago on March the 20th, on March the 20th, 1984. Here's a picture of my first Father's Day. I was 12 years old at the time. (laughs) I think I look about 12 years old, but really I was 24, right? And and today I have three awesome daughters, uh, Chelsea, 32, Leela, 24, May Lee, 12. I have two awesome sons, John, 29, Gentile, age 10, and I have five grandchildren, Zeb, Micaiah, Asher, Micah, and Cana. Number two, I've always found it a huge honor to wear the title father because that's like one of God's title. But also, I've also found wearing that title to be kind of scary and kind of overwhelming. Number three, uh, dads, despite what modern culture and our secular media says, dads, you matter. You matter. Question, what do 80% homeless and runaway children, what what do um, 60% of youth who commit suicide, 80% of all rapists, 85% of children with behavioral problems, 71% of all high school dropouts, 75% of teens in chemical abuse, 85% of all youth in prison, 70% of all girls who become pregnant as teens, what do they all have in common? They don't have a dad in the home. And yeah, I know there's a lot of debate about in our culture whether a dad is needed or not. And let me say up front, though many single moms do an amazing job, and being a single mom is the toughest job on the planet bar none, it still does not diminish the importance of a dad in the life of a child. I mean, a dad in in the home is how the creator of the universe wired up the system. Amen? Number four, you know, these five characteristics we're going to talk about this morning that enable God to use Noah to save his family, you know, are the same characteristics you and I need in our lives if we want God to use us to do things for him. Okay, let's do this. Five characteristics in Noah's life. Before we do, I would like for us to pray. And, and uh, encourage you, invite you to pray palms open. Um, we do that around here, just symbolic that we're ready to receive the word from God. Father God, we love you. We thank you for this incredible opportunity to be in your presence. And you are such a good, good father. God, you love everyone in this room. You are a patient father. You're a loving father. You're a gracious father. You're a merciful father. You're a father who never gives up on us, even when we give up on ourselves. You're a father who even right at this moment are pursuing some people in this very room because you want them back home. And Father, I ask that you enable me to speak in a way that would encourage all the dads, including myself, to live a life where we save our families. I pray for open hearts and open minds and help me to speak clearly for you and your honor, Dad. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, number one, dads who save their families make themselves available. Uh, understand, God was able to, 
use Noah because he was available. Now, I know that's pretty obvious, he was available, but the fact is, is, as God looked out over the entire human race, which many scholars believe was around about a million people at the time, he could only find one available person. And listen, even though this characteristic is obvious, don't underestimate its importance. Because a dad being available is essential to God being able to use that dad to save his family. I mean, if a dad is not around his family, how could that dad possibly save them? Get it? Good. You know, the, the longer I'm a Christian, the, the more I realize that God does not need superstars. He simply needs ordinary people who just say, God, I'm available. Use me. I, I mean, look at the disciples, right? You know, they were a motley crew before motley crew right, came out. I mean, and... and We read in Acts chapter 4 about them, though, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Yeah, they were just a couple ordinary guys. And I've always loved that Greek word there for ordinary. It's idiotes, where we get our English word idiot, right? They're just a couple idiots, right? You know, I love it. They're They're just normal people who made themselves available to God, and God gave them courage, and look what God was able to do through them. I understand God has always been actively looking for people who are available for him to use. I mean, that's what we read in 2 Chronicles 16.9. I've always loved this verse, and God is doing it right now. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And let me tell you something, dads. You can be certain that God wants to strengthen your heart so that you can save your family. But you need to be available. You need to be there for your kids. And listen, sometimes being available for our kids means that we have to give something else up. Anybody recognize this guy here? Okay. You know... Honey, I shrunk the kids, right? Ghostbusters. I used to wonder, like, hey, what happened to this dude? Like, what, what, he dropped off the face of the planet? No, he decided to leave his career to be with his family. When my kids came home, he says there was music and there was lights on. There was great smells coming out of the kitchen. And it was just a joyful place to be. And that's what I wanted. There's a famous actor in the 1950s by the name of Cary Grant. And he left his career early in order to take care of his daughter. Uh, Sean Constantine was a, um, a safety in the NFL who walked away from his career early in order to be with his family. He, he says, two years ago, I spent six months away from my kids after they were born, and I said I'd never do that again. I have no interest, especially this time of year and at this time in my children's lives, in being away from my family. I'm just not doing it anymore. I love football as much as anybody, and it's been really great to me, but I've been gone for basically two years, and my wife and kids are at the point where I need to be around for them. May of last year, uh, the CFO of Google, Patrick Pachetti, walked away from a deep seven-figure salary in order to be with his family. Now, it doesn't always have to be that dramatic, right? Leaving a career, turning down a promotion, but it could be. And listen, sometimes in our church culture, right, 
in the Maple Grove church culture, right? There are dads who, I mean, they have to leave for a period of time, right? You know, um, they have to go. It, it's part of their job you know, to keep their family safe and to, to keep our country safe. But the beauty of the day is it's of technology. You know, I was having lunch with somebody who's, you know, um, who's overseas and his wife and I were having lunch by permission of my wife and his, right? You know, I got permission from both because that's how I do things. But we're sitting in Timberwood Grill and guess what? We're talking to Mark Murray while he's in Afghanistan, right? And, and at 2 o'clock every day our time, Mark meets with his family, right? You know, he's being available to his family. Bottom line, what I'm trying to say is that being available means that a dad, as a dad, you must intentionally spend time with your kids. Sacrifice some of your personal me time and hobby time for them. Question, dads, are you available? Are you available so that God can use you to save your family? And will you, will we make ourselves more available in the future? Dads, we need to avoid what I call the cats in the cradle syndrome, right? Anybody heard that song? Harry Chapman, right? Go look it up, 1974. Basically, the song's about the kid wants the dad to play ball and do things with him and all that stuff, right? And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man. When you coming home, son, I don't know. Where, where? Okay, but, but, but we'll get together then, son. You know we'll have a good time then. Okay, I got to stop. I want to sing the song. But the message of the song is, hey, the kid wants to hang with his dad. His dad has no time. And guess what? When the kid grows up and goes away, guess what? The kid doesn't want to do. Be with his dad. He learned it from him, right? I'm telling you, parents, if you don't want to be with your kids today, when they grow up, to me, that would be, the, that would be horrific to me. I don't know why I do if my kids, and I, I got one in Indiana, you know, he's going to be in New York and then Morocco, whatever, you know. But if they left and never cared if they called or talked to me, that would like rip the heart right out of my body, right? But I tell you what, if you don't want to spend time with them now, don't expect them to want to spend time with you later, dads. Get it? Good. Uh, the next characteristic is dads who saved their family understand the dangers. And, and there's two very real dangers that, that, that Noah's family faced. Number one, the danger of living in a broken, sinful, evil, and messed up world. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Now the earth had become corrupt in God's sight. And it was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world and he saw violence and depravity everywhere. It was messed up. Not a pretty picture. I mean it was Sodom and Gomorrah multiplied over the entire earth. Noah saw it, he lived in it, he, he spoke out against it. Second Peter says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. As he lived his life, he kept talking about, hey, wait a second, this is the right way to live. Again, it was a wicked, violent, evil world, and Noah knew it, and he knew it was dangerous to his kids. Like, likewise, dads who saved their family, they recognized that the very real danger of living in a broken, sinful, evil, messed up world. Is our world broken? Is it evil? Is, is it messed up? It is. Now, now, some things are obvious, right? 
car wrecks, violence, terrorists. Uh, there's another danger that should be real obvious in, in us appearance today, you know, because I'm, I'm through a new phase. I got through one phase, but there's a, there's a bigger challenge today. It's called the internet, right? It, it poses some real dangers to our kids. Uh, this week I went onto a website called Covenant Eyes. It's based on Job 31 verse 1, where Job says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. And it talked about the dangers of the internet. And the, here were the top four. Pornography. Repeatedly viewing pornography, especially from a young age, can radically shape one's sexual attitudes and beliefs. Frequent exposure to sexually explicit material is closely linked to more permissive attitudes about sex, such as having multiple sexual partners and one-night stands, and cynicism about the need for affection between sexual partners. Before the age of 18, 83% of boys and 57% of girls have seen sexual activity on the internet. Staggering. It's dangerous. Sexting. That's sending or receiving partially nude or nude photos through the internet, right? And the danger is, right, that follows you, right? You can forward it. 20% of teens have sent or posted a nude or semi-nude image of themselves. And one in five teens that gets that image, you know what they do with it? They send it to somebody else. It's a danger. Cyberbullying was on there, right? I mean, when I was growing up in the Stone Age, right, you know, you only had to face a bully in school, right? That was pretty much it. Then you go home, right? It's different. And you know, the internet, social media, you know, rumors and slanders can spread so quickly. Pro- profiles are hacked, and it's common. One in five teens say someone has written something about them online that wasn't true. Ten percent say that someone has threatened to use electronic communication to tell others private things about them as a form of blackmail. You know what, I know this, and if you don't give me some money, you don't do this, then I'm going to share this with everybody else. And fourth is, was, was predators. You can meet people online, right? Not a bad thing, but, but some people with malicious, malicious intent can use it for their benefit and befriend your child. Internet predators are expert manipulators able to foster a relationship of dependence with a teenager. Most prey on a teenager's desire to be liked, their desire for romance, or their sexual curiosity. Often a predator grooms a child through flattery, sympathy, and by investing time in their online relationships. And these can turn into offline relationships, or in extreme cases, opportunities for kidnappings or abductions. 76% of predators are 26 or older. 47% of offenders are 20 years older than their victims. 83% of victims who meet their offender face-to-face willingly went somewhere with them. 
That dads, if we want to save our family, we have to be aware of the dangers in our world, the obvious dangers and the subtle dangers that this world presses against our kids. Understand, dads, there is a thief who wants to steal, kill, and destroy the life and plans that God has for your son or for your daughter. And he knows that if he can get his claws into your son and daughter at an early age, he may have them for the rest of their lives. So this evil one, this father of lies, he lies to our kids. He lies to them about what beauty is, right? Causing some kids to think, you know what? I'm just not pretty enough. I'm too too short, too tall. My nose is too big. I, I don't have the right shape. I'm not attractive. I'm not beautiful. I don't look like that. I'm not worthy of love. He lies to them about what strength is, causing many young people to feel like they are weak and useless. He lies to them about what success is, making many kids feel like they're failures. This dark one is often very successful at this. And the result is, you know, we have kids feeling like they don't measure up, right? Why, why, why is there so much self-destructive behavior? Because they, they don't like who they are. They don't feel like they measure up. They don't feel like they're worthy. They don't feel like they're good enough. And dads who save their families understand the danger, and they fight this danger with the Word of God. And they say, no, 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 God created you. God knit you in your mother's womb. God shaped, God shaped your nose. God determined how tall you are. God created you, and God loves you. And God has a plan and purpose for you. When he knit you, there were these things he wanted you to do. And he created you just the way you are so that you can do these things. Dads who understand the danger that fights the lies of the evil one with Scripture. Amen? I I love the shirt I'm wearing. You know, rules for dating my daughter. Number one, you can't. And, and, And... the best thing about it is my daughter, May Lee, got it for me for Father's Day to wear today, right? You can't. You can't. This is not happening. Our rule was, you're not dating until you're 16. I don't care. Hate me. I don't care. I'm not your friend. I'm your dad. Here's what I want. Here's what I wanted for my kids. I wanted them to know who they were. I wanted them to have their identity in Christ so they didn't need some guy or girl, right? Oh, I need some guy to make me somebody. No, you don't. You're somebody in Jesus, right? So, no. And I'm going to keep this shirt and pull it out. I'm not, you bought it for me, Chelsea. I mean, you bought it for me, May Lee. Chelsea's mom, you bought it for me, May Lee. You know, you, this is your rule. You gave it to me. But I want them confident in their identity in Christ. So I'm not running around, well, if I don't have a guy, everybody else has a boyfriend. Well, what's wrong with you? Nothing wrong with you. You're perfect. God loves you just the way you are. Dads who save their family recognize also the danger of living in a way that is against God, right? I mean, the flood was coming to destroy the world because it was wicked. And dads who understand there's a very real danger if our kids are living in a way that is against God, that is against God's teaching, right? No, no, 
I mean, I don't want you to live against God's teaching. Second Thessalonians, which our women will soon be studying, says this. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Question. What, what, what? Dads, moms, what, what good is it? What, what good is it if, if our sons or daughter gains the whole world but forfeits and loses their very souls? Bottom line, dads, Hear me. I'm a dad, right? I'm in my face too, all right? Dads, we must have a greater concern for our child's walk with God than we do the grades they get, how well they exceed at sports, what college they get into, or what career field they happen to get into. Our greatest concern would be, I don't care what you do, All I want for you, I want you to be a godly man, and I want you to be a godly woman. That needs to be our greatest concern. Get it? Good. Next, dads who saved their families dare to be different. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he he walked with God. Noah was a man of deep conviction. He dared to be different. He wasn't afraid to stand out. He he was not afraid to stand alone. He, He was not afraid of what other people thought of him. He understood the wisdom Solomon spoke in Proverbs 29.5. The fear of man is a trap, right? Worrying about what people think of you, it's a trap, right? It'll lock you up. It'll hold you down. Again, the people in his day were morally bankrupt, yet that did not influence Noah. In spite of the fact that he lived in a godless society, it says that he was blameless among the people of his time. Noah dared to be different. Noah did not buy into the world's morals or values or worldview. And and like matter dads, if we want to save our families, we must dare to be different. Dads, we cannot live like the world and and expect to have any real chance of saving our families from it. We cannot live like the world and have any real chance of saving our families from it. Get it? Good. That's our our kids. Not perfectly, because we're messed up. I'm as messed up as you are, right? We're not perfect. But but that's our our kids need to see that for the most part, right? Despite our imperfections, they need to see that, that we speak, that we act, that we live, that we value, that we care, that we respond, that we love differently than the world does. They need to see that. So dads, will you, like Noah, dare to be different than the world? Next, dads who saved their families walk with God. This account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Probably had something to do with him being a righteous man. Just saying. And listen, walking with God is most definitely something that will not happen by accident. Listen, we won't wake up one morning and find out, whoa, I'm walking with God. I mean, the likelihood of that happening is a likelihood of the University of Virginia winning a national football championship, right? 
I used, I used to be able to use the Chicago Cubs. This has been a great joke for 100 years, but I don't know. They're looking pretty good this year. Going to ruin the joke, right? It, it, it's not that God doesn't want us to walk with him. He does. I mean, Scripture says that in Genesis that he walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden. But then came the tree, the fruit, the serpent, the lies, the, the bite, the sin, and the fall. And then what was so, what once so natural and, and what was once so easy wasn't normal anymore. It became difficult. It, it became hard. And here's the bottom line, dads, it, and everybody else, right? It, it, if you're going to have a solid walk with God, you're going to have to really want it. You're going to have to go after it. You're going to have to pursue it. Have you ever pursued something? We have, right? A job, a career, excelling in sports, whatever, a person, a hobby. I remember when I first began pursuing my wife, Laurie, right? She didn't know what's happened to her. She's married to me, like, within five months. Like, what happened? It's like, I was good at it, right? Um, God wants us to walk with him. For I know the plans I have for you, dads, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, dads. Plans to give you hope in the future, dads. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, dads. You will seek me and find me, dads. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. You see, when we want God more than we want anything else, then we're going to find God. It's not that God's playing hide and seek. It's just that God, to find God, we got to want God. And, and so question is, how does a dad intentionally improve their walk with God? It all comes back that famous sandwich of all sandwiches, right? It all comes back to PBJ, right? That's how we grow, PBJ, peanut butter and jelly, right? We need people, right? If we're going to walk with God, we need to hang out with guys who are walking with God, right? Hang out with guys who are chasing after God, you know? And I'll just say this, guys, if you're not doing that, you need to, Right? You know, if you don't know how to do that, we got a connection card, write your name on it. Say, man, I, I want to walk with God. You know, every Wednesday we have a, 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 some guys get together at 6 a.m. You know, you're welcome to do that. We're going to get an evening one too, right? I mean, the ladies are cranking it, right? I mean, you know, we, we got a lot of ladies in Bible studies. Guys, let's step up our game, all right? All right? You want to walk with guys, walk with God, fill out your connection card. We're going to make it happen. I'll make it happen. Put your name on there. We're going to make it happen. We need to hang out with guys who are walking with God. And the Bible, you need to be in the Bible. No, there's no substitute, right? You know, next week I'll put together a new Faith Comes From Hearing. It's our chapter a day Bible reading program. But church, this week, let's read the letter that Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus, right? Six chapters in that letter. And then we need Jesus, right? We need to connect to Jesus. He's the jelly. Yes, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is like a useless branch and withers. You know, every morning around 5.30 while in Indiana, I would get up and walk to the speedy gas station, right? It's about a mile away, but I, I needed my coffee, right? I'm morning Joe, and, and I get my 24-ounce uh, dark roast Colombian coffee. And on Friday morning, I took a different route, and I, I, I ran into this and took a picture. I go, wow, that's... Interesting. You know, like, like there's a tree with green leaves, and there's this branch that was connected to it, 
and like it's not connected anymore. Can you see a difference? <laughs> right? If you're not connected to Jesus, I don't care who we are, right? You can be a pastor, right? It don't matter. If you're not connected to Jesus, you're going to begin to wither away. You need to spend time with Jesus. Number four, right? Pray for one. Because we need some extra peanut butter, right? <laughs> PBJP, right? We're going to put some extra peanut butter. Because, you know, if you want to walk with God, walk in the direction that God is walking. And God is always walking in a direction to save one more person, right? To bring one one lost person home. To find that lost sheep that's wandered away. To find that lost coin. To welcome that prodigal son back home. If, if you walk in that direction, you'll be walking with God. You'll be doing the things that God does. And bottom line, dads, as we take our relationship with our Heavenly Father deeper, we'll find that not only will we be more willing to be the dad we want to be, but we'll literally be empowered to become that dad. Amen? Amen? All right. Two people want to go home. All right. Finally, you know, the dads who save their families never give up. Do you know how long Noah spent building the ark? Like 120 years. Like when God decided, Genesis 6, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to judge the earth. He said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you guys 120 years. You know, I'm done with you, but 120 years, you know, you know I'm going to do this. You know, Noah was 500 at the time. That's crazy, but anyhow, we're not going to talk about that now. And, and, and 120 years, that's a long time, right? If God gave you a project that took that long, could you maintain your enthusiasm, right? You then are saying, he's like, if I see another nail or another piece of wood, I am done, right? I bet his wife many times had to kick him out of bed, right? I don't want it anymore. God, give me my gold watch. I've done my 50. Let someone else take it from here. But Noah never gave up. And every day as he hammered a nail, every day as he cut that piece of wood and bent it in shape, Noah said, I believe in God. I trust God. I believe in who he is. He never gave up. And dads who save their families don't give up. No, no, it's not easy. And yes, problems and people and pressure many days will make us want to throw away our hammer and give up on building the ark. But, but something that dads who save their families never say like that video, dads who, who save their families never say, I quit. They never say, I give up. They keep on going. They refuse to quit. When they get knocked down, they get back up again. Check out this guy here. You, you may know who he is. I know Mike Drew does, right? <laughs> you know? That's Emmett Smith, right? You know, the all-time leading rusher, right? 18,355 yards. The guy rushed for 10.4 miles in his career. And that's with getting knocked down 4,373 times. You see, every 4.2 yards, uh, imagine 10 miles, 0.4 miles, every 4.2 yards, somebody knocked him down. Sometimes three people knocked him down. But every time he got knocked down, he got back 
up. Dads who save their families, they get back up. Yeah, they fall. Yeah, they fail. Yes, they make mistakes, but they get back up again. They never say, I quit. Amen? Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always. Therefore, my dear brothers, therefore, my dear dads, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of being a dad. Because you know that your labor as a dad for the Lord, right, it's not in vain, right? He's going to help you. He's going to help you. It's Father's Day 2016. I want to close with a few facts. Fact. Noah wasn't perfect. Chapter 9, planted a vineyard, got drunk and got naked. You can read it for yourself later, right? (laughs) Wasn't perfect. Wasn't perfect. Fact. Noah saved his family. Fact. Noah was available. Fact. Noah understood the danger. He built the ark. Fact. He dared to be different. Fact, he walked with God. Fact, he never gave up. Fact, he saved his family. Fact, dads who follow in his footsteps will save their families. Amen? Dads, it's Father's Day 2016, and, and maybe you've been knocked down, right? You've been knocked down. And there's a 375-pound lineman and his buddy standing next to you, right? Just wanting you to get up so he can knock you on your butt again. That's the evil one. I'm here to tell you, God brought you here today to tell you, you can get back up no matter what. And and what I want to do is give every dad the opportunity who says, you know what? I am recommitting to be a dad that saves my family to come up here and join me as I kneel, and we're going to kneel up here, and when all the dads get up here, I'm going to pray for us. So if you want to recommit, it, I don't care how many times you've fallen, it doesn't matter. The day God wants you to get back up, and he will help you be the dad that he wants you to be so that you can save your family. It's not too late. Don't give up. If you'd like to join me, feel free to. Father, we are so far from perfect. And God, sometimes all we can see is our fails and our falls as a dad. And we come before you right now, Lord, and we recommit ourselves. God, we are honored to wear the same name that you wear. We're honored to wear the name Father. And we're here today, God, and we we recommit our lives to you. We understand the danger that our kids are facing. And God, we will make ourselves more available to our families than we ever have before. And God, we'll be different. God, in some ways, we, 
we've allowed ourselves to look like and talk like and act like and value like this world and of that we repent. And God, with our bended knee, we're telling you, God, we have not given up and we thank you for not giving up on us. And God, I pray for every dad here that your spirit will stir within them and that we will become the fathers that you want us to be. Thank you for your unlimited patience with us. Thank you for your belief in us. Thank you for this incredible privilege you've given us to be dads, to be fathers. And we ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Every week, we kind of close out our service by responding to the word, to the worship, what we heard. And one of the ways we always respond is by taking communion, remembering that, that the Father loved us so much that he allowed his son to die. We have stations on both sides of the room where you can pick up a a cup that has a cracker and juice to remember his broken body and shed blood. And feel free if you want to huddle up as a family, some friends, and pray together. Do it individually, however God moves you, but we're doing this in remembrance of him. We also at East Station, that's where we have our offering boxes. You give your offering at your way of saying, God, I'm thankful for what you've done, and God, I want to see more people in the kingdom of heaven in the shortest amount of time possible. And maybe you're here today, um, I, I, I got a I bro over there that's about to make a huge decision. That's John. And, and, and John is one of Laurie's ones. And sometimes you hear the story how they met. It's definitely a God thing uh, that they ran into each other. And, and John is here today to surrender to Christ and to be baptized into Christ. You know, in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter is talking about how the waters of the flood uh, saved Noah and his family from this wicked world. And in 1 Peter 3.21 it says, you know, and this water, the waters of the flood, symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. He says it's not the removal of dirt from the flesh, there's no magic in the water, but in our baptism and our surrender, it's an appeal to God to be right with him. You know, maybe today, um, like John, you want to make that same decision. I encourage you to do that as well. Or talk to me later if you want to do that. But if you guys would just stand, I'm going to pray very briefly, allow you to go to your stations. God, we love you. Father, you're awesome and amazing and incredible. And Father, I thank you for John and his decision. I know that there soon will be rejoicing in the presence of the angels in heaven. I know, God, you're that father running down to meet the son who's come home. And God, I pray that as we hold in our hands symbols of your sacrifice, that we'll remember you. And I pray that as we give our gifts, it's giving with a tent that we want to see more people in the kingdom of heaven in the shortest amount of time as possible, and that nothing is more important than resource in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.